the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. We don't need no education. We don't need no thought control. Welcome to Education Nation, where we tackle the biggest issues in American education. School is now in session. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Mark Durkin. Good evening, and thank you for joining us here on Education Nation. I'm your headmaster and host, Rebecca Hagstrom, and it's a privilege to join you here every Saturday evening on AM 1280 The Patriot. And of course, I'm joined in studio once again by our wonderful producer of Education Nation and my co-host, Mark Durkin. Hi, Rebecca. How are you this Saturday night? Very good. Good to see you. Good to see you. The Christmas season. I know. It's one of I think it's everyone's favorite. And it even even breaks through the COVID pandemic, right? The holiday cheer. Yeah. Well, here on Education Nation, we have spent considerable time discussing the racial achievement gap. And that continues to widen here in the state of Minnesota. Yes. And, of course, as educators and state leaders seek to reduce the disparity, many efforts have been proposed and implemented, and they center around the idea that education systems are racist, structured for the success of only the white students. That's right. I mean, an increased number of school districts across the state, they're evaluating their structures of whiteness while also examining what they would call implicit biases and attitudes and behaviors of anti-blackness. And, you know, on this show over the last year, as our listeners have been tuning in, uh, they will uh, certainly know that we've been discussing racial equity in the classroom, uh, including racial discipline, uh, the 1619 Project, which we've spoken about quite a bit, uh, legislation proposing racial balancing and turning over education in Minnesota to the courts to guarantee a quality education for all. And, of course, our guests, they can go to our podcast at ednationmn.org and scroll through the Rolodex of shows, and they'll see all of that there, We too. have many of them, and even on racial equity grading, we did that a yes. couple times, a couple shows on that. Absolutely, so, absolutely. And yeah. perhaps the umbrella, though, for all of these movements and the proposals is the controversial critical race theory. In fact, we touched on this topic just a little more than a month ago mm-hmm. uh, with former St. Paul public school teacher Aaron Benner. Yep. And tonight we want to take a closer look at what is critical race theory and how is it played out already in several school districts across the state. That's right. And joining us here tonight by telephone to discuss the controversial critical race theory is Catherine Kirsten. Catherine is a writer and an attorney, a senior policy fellow and founding director at the Center of the American Experiment, having also served as its chair from 1996 to 1998. 
Catherine has also served as a Metro columnist for the Star Tribune from 2005 to 2008, and before that was an opinion columnist for the paper for 17 years. She is a regular contributor on this show, and Catherine, we are always honored to have you join us on Education Nation. So thank you so much for joining us tonight. It's great to be with you. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to jump right in here and and get started. There's so much to talk about about this topic. This is a topic that affects pretty much every American across the entire nation. Um, And throughout the year, we have spent a lot of time here on Education Nation discussing the New York Times 1619 Project and the Black Lives Matter movement across the country. But just a few weeks ago, we introduced our audience to a third movement called Critical Race Theory. And of course, they are all connected. Um, which has been at the center of much controversy, garnering the attention even of President Trump in September. So can you share with our listeners, Catherine, an overview of the critical race theory framework and then contrast that with your ideals of what our great or our ideals of what our great nation was actually founded upon? Well, certainly. Um, Critical uh, race theory is one component of critical theory, which is an ideological view of the world uh, with what we call um, uh, cultural Marxist roots, uh, springing from the uh, the Frankfurt School in Germany uh, in the early part of the last century. And the fundamental idea is that life is a relentless power struggle between groups. And these groups are divided into oppressors, and victims. Mm-hmm. And uh, when, when we talk about critical race theory, the idea is that the, the, the most important groups uh, from this perspective are uh, based on skin color. So essentially, uh, whites and blacks. And the idea is that they are engaged in a power struggle with white people being by nature oppressors and permanent oppressors, black people being by nature victims and permanent mm-hmm, victims. Mm-hmm. Which is a really depressing view of the world, isn't it? Um, Extremely grim, you know, and, and uh, you know, there's no way, no way out. <laughs> right, right, exactly. It, it's, it's kind of a permanent condition, and that's not at all what our founding principles are. Um, and maybe you can talk a little bit about that, Catherine, you know, um, contrast that with what America was founded upon. What are the principles, you know, Absolutely. of equality of men um, being equal and, and that type of thing? Well, you're, you're so right to think of it in that way, Rebecca. I think uh, it's helpful to contrast this with Martin Luther King's vision mm-hmm. of, of how race should be viewed, the role that it has in American society. And uh, uh, King, of course, uh, had a colorblind vision that Mm -hmm. is what's important. What defines a person is uh, the content of his or her character, not the color of skin. Uh, Critical race theory completely reverses that. What defines you is not your character, but the color of your skin. That is the most important thing about you. That is what defines your identity, and it, it really um, is, is at the base of all institutions, and it permeates our society and makes us permanent uh, enemies as white people and black people. Mm-hmm. When do you think, just out of curiosity, you know, Martin Luther King was obviously um, a big part of the civil rights movements in the early 1960s, and, you know, we're, here we are in 2020, um, not that many years have passed. Um, what do you think was the critical 
component that brought this about in such a rapid fashion, it seems like to me, in the last five to ten years or so? Right. Of course, critical race theory began to be discussed as such. Uh, well, I shouldn't say began, but we we first became aware of it in the in the 1980s. So, okay. but this stuff is all going on at Ivy League universities, right? The average person has no idea right. about it at that point. If you think about it, though, um, think about the Black Panthers. Mm, think about uh, mm-hmm. who, who were uh, co co contemporary with. With Martin Luther King, yes, that's King true. Won, uh, in, you know, in the in the sixties and seventies. But the Panthers uh, and you know, that vision uh, uh, has made great, great progress. I think there are many reasons. I think one reason is we have done so much over the last sixty years to try to uh, in, improve racial gaps including trillions of dollars. I've read something mm-hmm. like $20 trillion wow. in welfare payments and Medicare, that kind of thing mm-hmm. since the 50s. Of course, massive school busing mm-hmm. uh, in the 70s through the 90s. And we haven't seen, in certain respects, this gap uh, reduced. Mm-hmm. So uh, no one wants to talk about it, but those progressive measures were not effective, mm-hmm. uh, at least you know as effective as, as people hope. But it's very important to know mm-hmm. that Black Lives Matter leaders today have roots, uh, acknowledged roots in, in Marxism, in uh, the community organizing, in the Black Panthers. They celebrate cop killers. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they are absolutely on that page with the Panthers and, and what came before. Interesting. Yeah, I'm glad that you drew that, that parallel to the Panthers. I'd forgotten about that the, they were an influence back in the 60s. Obviously, like you say, not as powerful of an influence as Martin Luther King, but obviously they did not go away. Uh, and now that you remind me, I saw a group of, of a Facebook post of some Black Panthers that were actually marching in Stillwater, Minnesota, about a month before the election. So, yeah, they're hmm. still here today. Go ahead, Mark. I know you were... No, I was just going to say, you know, a lot of this, of course, is rooted in the progressive movement in this country. And, I mean, we need to look all the way back, not just to the 1960s, but the progress that has been made even from the time of the American Revolution Mm -hmm. through the Civil War, the 13th, 14th, 15th Amendments, the 19th Amendment, the 1964 Civil Rights Act. It seems like, though, the progressive movement never celebrates the progress that's been made in the country. Isn't that interesting? Oh, that's the kiss of death. (laughs) That's the kiss of death to them. Uh, I think uh, a major reason that we haven't seen the kind of success, and we've seen huge success, but not to the extent that many of us would like to see, is that along with the progressive movement came a, a, a destruction of fundamental social institutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, the family, for example, uh, the church, uh, neighborhood communities, small local control school boards. There were no teachers unions. You know? Right. <laughs> right. These oh, my goodness. Yeah. Changes mm-hmm. undermining our institutions are at the heart of what has prevented the kind of of wholesale progress we would like to see. Mm -hmm. Good point. So, Catherine, to what degree are the tenets of critical race theory um, used to blame the achievement gap? You know, we've talked a lot about the achievement gap between blacks and whites um, here on this show, you know, not only in Minnesota, but across the nation. Um, To what degree do you think those tenets of critical race theory are used to blame those achievement gaps in Minnesota schools? 
uh, how are are they? This how is this ideology? Is it because yeah? Was, are they using that to kind of bl- are they using the oh, the gap to be able to really yeah. pull to, to to draw people into the tenets of critical race theory? Absolutely, uh, and the way that it's done is to point to the kinds of gaps that we see uh, in, say, academic performance uh, on average between black students and white students. No one wants to talk about the fact that Asian students as a group do significantly better. Right, and they students. are also of color. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, exactly, mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. they define that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see uh, gaps in terms of uh, suspensions, percentage of, of suspensions for uh, based conduct in the schools. What critical race theory does with its it, it, it puts um, skin color first, and it, you, you're seen as an individual secondarily, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Your race, if at all. So the idea is that all of these gaps are a result of white privilege, of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. That it is completely a matter of institutional bias microaggressions, because they can't find discrimination anymore. They have to tell us this is now unconscious. It's what yeah. Marx called false consciousness, right? Mm-hmm. Convincing mm-hmm. you that, mm-hmm. that you are an oppressor, but you don't know it. So it's absolutely devastating for kids of, of all races, but it, especially for African-American kids, because they are now being told under the auspices of critical race theory that it is quite to these sort of 13 characteristics of white supremacy that some schools are are using, Mm -hmm. uh, that hard work is a white trait, something that black Black students, black people are not really capable That's of. That's devastating. Black people are not capable of being on time, of turning papers in on time. Yeah, it's, you know, I think Aaron Benner, you was mm-hmm. on your show recently, would yep. say, this is, this is as racist as it gets. Right. That's the interesting you thing. Know? It's the complete so opposite of. Away with it. Yes, I find it a figure here. Yeah, it's it's appalling, isn't it? Because it is the opposite of what they say they what they purport to say they're trying to achieve. Um, this is where the true oppressing is. is this is where yeah. the true implicit bias. Yes, is. and that's yeah. where true systemic racism is too. Right. To the the low expectations exactly. and low expectations are always going to lead uh, to more oppression. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Life and death and the power of the tongue. Yeah, I mean, after long after long enough, you begin to believe what's being said. Mm-hmm. Well, you are listening to Education Nation here on AM 1280, The Patriot, where our guest again is Catherine Kirsten. We are discussing critical race theory. We're taking a closer look at that tonight. And Catherine, you've written extensively about the political and racial equity indoctrination that uh, has really gripped Edina High School over the last uh, decade. Uh, we've, we've spoken about this quite a bit. In 2013, and I just want to rewind for a little bit, uh, school officials there decided to view all teaching and learning through the re- lens, rather, of racial equity. And as a result, right. academic excellence went on the decline. The high schools experienced across-the-board test score declines, including on ACT standards in math, reading, and science. Um, but in looking uh, specifically at the 2012 and 13 school year there, uh, the school required an English literature course for all 10th grade students. And your research revealed that the school promised that all students would get the high-quality curriculum that they would need to be successful. But the course's origin and the purpose was written by an English teacher uh, where it was intended to be a year-long exercise in indoctrination in racial identity politics and critical race theory. 
What was the ultimate agenda stemming from the course, and did it ultimately call for a fundamental change in teaching approaches? Absolutely. Uh, this curriculum uh, was advanced by an English teacher named Jackie Rail. Uh, she, along with many other uh, Edina teachers, had uh, come under the influence of a group called the Pacific Educational Group out of California, which is one of these high-priced so-called equity groups that uh, exist to promote the ideology of critical race theory in our schools. So uh, what what Jackie Rail and her her little group of uh, Confederates plan to do was essentially to introduce this way of thinking to uh, Edina High School students and essentially enlist them, these students, in um, social activism that would fundamentally alter their supposedly racist uh, structures uh, in Edina public schools. And again, under undercover, and she wrote all this uh, in, in So you knew exactly what she was talking about if you really dug into it a little bit, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. But but the idea was that um, through a required 10th grade English course required of every student uh, at Edina High School, uh, the essentially the entire year would focus on promoting critical race theory uh, with the teacher as therapist, the teacher mm-hmm. there to help students um, have racial awakenings, help white students see how guilty they were of harming uh, unintentionally uh, their uh, their black classmates, uh, etc. So mm-hmm. yeah, it, that served as kind of the cornerstone of an attempt to push this through, through much of the curriculum in Edina High right. School. And so then once the students and their parents uh, kind of found out about this because they discovered that the, you know, happy talk, so to speak, documents that said, oh, yes, we're giving your kids the best education possible, um, when they really realized what was really happening, um, how did they respond? Do you, Can you share that with well, us? Well, uh, there, uh, there was a kind of parent uprising, mm-hmm. uh, parents attempting, first of all, to find out because this is completely cloak and dagger. I mean, it was it was disguised what yeah. the, the real agenda was here. Parents tried to make other parents aware of this. Uh, they they uh, agitated uh, mm-hmm. with uh, with the superintendent of the districts, the school board, etc. Um, and, and in fact, presented another curriculum that they believed would be much more rigorous and uh, truly promote the kind of learning that parents hope for in a school district like Edina. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a battle. There was actually a lawsuit uh, at the end, although it focused on a different element of this. But uh, many, many families left Edina Public Schools in response to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a very... It was a very big uproar, uh, as I remember correctly. And I know you talked right. about even um, one of the school board meetings where someone was forced, one of the school board members was called out, I think, publicly um, for right. supporting these parents. Threatened, and, right. Yeah, and just, just appalling type of behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in fact, you know, a lot of this has been kind of pushed to the background because of everything surrounding, you know, covid um, but with students and parents pushing back, Catherine, against this philosophy of education to date, is Edina High School, I mean, are they doubling down? Are they still viewing 
all teaching and learning through the lens, rather, of racial equity? And, and has anything yeah. happened with this 10th grade uh, English teacher at the high school? Uh, well, the te- his teacher is gone. Um, okay. She retired. Uh, can't speculate as to why. Mm-hmm. And uh, at least one other teacher there who was kind of a ringleader also left the district. I mean, there have been some successes, but Edina was kind of early to the game in this, right? Starting with this pay group uh, back in 2009. And in during COVID, we've seen this ramp up now in so many other districts. In fact, uh, one district, uh, I believe, well, I shouldn't say if I can't recall exactly, mm-hmm. but um, at least one has now picked up um, what looks like exactly this uh, pre-AP 10th grade English course. Oh, my uh, goodness. That was kind of the, the vehicle of getting this into <laughs> into uh, the Edina school system. Well, and as we know, Peg has been hired by many school districts around the Twin Cities area. So yeah. I'm sure that's some of why we're seeing that common denominator um, why we're seeing some of the same curriculums chosen. Right. Uh, are right. you are you aware, Catherine, at all of any, you know, positive changes, I mean, that have come out of this in the Edina Public School District with all of the pushback that came from families? Well, um I I know that families are now aware of the controversial policy sure. uh, issues policy in Edina and all parents listening should if you're concerned, go to your school district website, find out what your district policy on controversial issues is, because this is this is essentially against school policy when these kinds of issues come up. Mm-hmm. Schools, uh, at least Edina, and I assume all other public schools in Minnesota, are required to present a variety of points of view right. on these kinds of issues, and most parents don't know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes, you know, coordinated effort. It takes a core group of parent leaders who can rally the troops and together as as groups, they can uh, sign letters, petitions, show up at school board meetings and mass. That can have a real effect. Uh, so, you know, don't let them off the, right. the hook. Mm-hmm. And there's some, some hope for success. Right. You know, here's what I find amazing, though, too. I mean, even with the scores of families that have left the district, I mean, just the notion of doubling down, we're going to keep to view education through this lens. I mean, that obviously screams, there's something going on behind the mm-hmm. scenes here in terms of, you know, money changing hands. I mean, they're, they, they're just to not be bothered by the fact that families would be leaving uh, definitely speaks to something much deeper going on, I think. Well, that is absolutely a, a way to get at these districts. Uh, I understand that Minnesota's uh, uh, now has a something of a budget surplus unexpectedly after COVID and all and other disasters, uh, because so many uh, families have left the public schools. Mm-hmm. I read something like twelve thousand students, but money, state money, goes with each one of them to to uh, a district, and when that money disappears, uh, people uh, in, in school leadership are likely to start listening more carefully. Yeah. yeah, and you would sure think so. And that's why, as Mark points out, it is kind of surprising that Edina wasn't more concerned about families leaving the district. But I think they they figure, well, we've got the reputation, and they do. Edina has a good reputation, yeah. and I think they live on that reputation. But after a while, people figure these things out, and um, you yeah. can't live on your reputation forever. And right. uh, that's and an important... The ringleaders are true believers 
Yeah. These people are. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's at their core. Some of them, yes, to, yeah. to get them to uh, to change until right. they're until they're ousted. Essentially, we we need to get rid of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you had written um, that Jackie Rail's approach to teaching changed materially when the Pacific Education Group out of San Francisco became involved with the Adina schools back in two thousand nine. Which, is, like I say, it's been a while here where we're dealing with some of these things. Um, can you share with our listeners the emphasis that comes out of Peg? And is this group instrumental today in pushing critical race theory in Minnesota schools and schools across the country, too, actually? Well, you know, I can't speak to how involved PEG is today. What we do know, and it, it may be, it, I know that there were at least 16 districts at one point that had paid PEG wow. uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of mm-hmm. dollars to do what it's doing. PEG was kind of early to the game. Now there are so many more uh, groups and individuals doing this. I mean, PIG, I think, came to the fore before uh, many districts had equity, diversity, inclusion um, staff members who, my sure. understanding, is often paid big bucks. Mm-hmm. So uh, what we do know is that in places like Edina, Hopkins, and elsewhere, the, the stage was absolutely set uh, by the PEG group, but you don't need PEG to find yourself going down this road. Mm-hmm. You know, there are all kinds mm-hmm. of other groups. The Black Lives Matter Global Fund, the, the Teachers Union, uh, Education Minnesota, the National Education Association are fully, fully behind this. And of course, the Minnesota State um, Department of Education under Governor Waltz mm-hmm. is making it very hot for districts that don't get involved in this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and like you say, this this is um, so widespread in Minnesota, but it's also widespread in across, across the, country. the country. I get emails, of course, because I run a school. I get all kinds of emails that discuss this type of topic, and it is it's in curriculum, it's in policy, um, it's it's permeating everything. Well, that's the very definition of critical race theory: is that systemic racism. True. Mm-hmm. is in the fabric of everything, everything. in America. Mm-hmm. And, I, I, and bear in mind, schools, uh, colleges of education uh, teach mm-hmm. this and have taught it for years. And my, I was just told today that uh, the Minnesota Department of Education or some state agency is now requiring that teachers take uh, a, a course in this. I'm sure they have many, generally speaking, but oh. in order to, to get licensed. Licensed, of course. So, you, you hire the teachers, and you've got the curriculum right there. Yeah, they bring. Yeah, it is. It is very widespread, and I, 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 I get sad as I consider um, a generation of young black kids who are then, in my opinion, then they are really going to be suffering the consequences of what is true systemic racism, which is teaching them that they really can't rise up um, to the level of whites, and they just have to be as victims. Um, for the rest of their lives. That's not what we want to teach them. And I don't think that's what the vast majority of Americans want for these kids. We want to give them the opportunities and hold them to the same high standards. Catherine, as we're wrapping up here, I just want to ask you real quickly, what happens to school districts that don't embrace this? Any idea? Um, well, I, I have been told, and I can't speak to this myself, that, uh, the, the MDE has, told uh, schools that do not embrace this 
uh, that they will they may find themselves in litigation. Oh that certainly happened wow. certainly happened with the uh, question of uh, suspensions and discipline. Yes. Uh, you know, the, there there has been great pressure on schools wow. across the whole state that they've got to is fundamentally equalize discipline uh, among all racial groups, or they will be dragged to courts. I've seen the letters; they've mm-hmm. been dragged to court. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah, we, yeah, and we know in past discussions with you too, Catherine. There are some disturbing pieces of litigation that were kind of on the forefront before the. Uh, COVID situation hit, and we'll be certainly uh, in a position to talk about that with you again next week. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, we are already at the end of our time, and I'm just so grateful once again to have you on the show, Catherine. And we look forward to having you join us next week when we continue this conversation. And, of course, I want to say thank you to Mark as my wonderful co-host. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me in the studio again, Rebecca. Of course. And thank you to our listeners. And we hope that you will join us again next week on AM 1280 The Patriot, 6 p.m. Saturday evenings. Um, Education Nation, or you can check out our podcasts at ednationmn.org, ednationmn.org. And we've got lots of the ones that we talked about today on there that you can go back and listen to, and I'd highly recommend it. Very pertinent topic. Have a great night.